This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. Sunday night, Monday morning edition of this show, and we got a pretty fun show uh, for you. Chris Samsa from New Japan, uh, New Japan's statistician, is going to join us in the first segment. And, and Chris is online now, so we, we can we can say a quick hello. What's going on, Chris? Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, Chris and I are kind of teaming up in this new uh, this G1 challenge that we put together for the website and for the Fight Game Podcast Facebook group. Chris is pretty savvy with spreadsheets, so he put together a little uh, a little uh, bracket for us to kind of vote daily for our uh, challenge. So we'll talk about that here in a second. And um, just going to talk about the G1. We're going to kind of preview things and and uh, just go like, you know, I want to know specifically for from Chris's point of view, like, how does he follow the G1? I know the G1, kind of everyone has their own rhythm and rhyme. The fact that I'm on the West Coast, a lot of times I'm I'm waking up and if I don't watch it really early, it's it's kind of hard to not get spoiled. So we'll ask Chris about that. But before we talk to Chris, I wanted to mention that challenge. So a post is out there. You can go to Twitter and uh, our, our Fight Game Media Twitter feed. Uh, you'll find the post, basically all the rules and the entry point into our G1 challenge. Bas- essentially, what you have to do is you have to join our Fight Game Podcast Facebook group because that's where all the action is going to happen. So you have to be a member of the group, and then you have to tweet or share on on Facebook the post. So because we want to create awareness, so more people uh, come in and, and play. It's it's just more fun when there are more people. Um, there, there, all of that stuff is in the Fight Game. Uh, podcast Facebook group as well. So if you go there, you'll see everything. Uh, we're, we're starting to lay out everything. And Chris has put together, like I mentioned, this great spreadsheet that we'll share in the group as, as sort of how to make your picks uh, for, for the daily shows. Um, the winner of the whole thing is going to win a $50 gift card to uh, Pro Wrestling Tees. So that's when that's where we'll, we'll get to that whole thing at the end. You know, the G1 is several... Uh, several weeks of uh, of shows, so uh, so that you know it'll be sort of a long journey and a long marathon, and there will be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, I want to make one more mention before we talk about this G one, which is um, Justin Nipper and Carlos Toro are going to attempt to do some daily G one audio. Obviously, when when there are shows, I know there. I know there are. Chris, what is there about three or four shows a week? On average, yeah, it's probably it's at least three a week. Uh, there's one week I think that has six though. Oh my um, god! Yeah, it's like the week of the fifth to the twelfth is just wild. Um, but yeah, most most weeks, um, I think four of the five weeks that it crosses into, it's uh, either three or four shows. 
So Justin and Carlos are going to attempt to do audio, just recapping the action from the G1. I think the working title is something like the G1 cast, but basically that's going to be in this feed. So it won't necessarily be me. Like I'll, I'll probably, you know, I may intro uh, a few of the shows, but mostly it's just going to be Justin and Carlos, a daily short, sort of shorter show. So we're going to get those guys on, uh, hopefully, um, during the week, uh, as they're going to do a little bit of sort of a an attempt to to what they're going to what they plan to do. So that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, I've talked to Justin about it, and he's pretty fired up. So you'll see that in this feed sometime during the week. I'm also going to get uh, Dave Meltzer's thoughts on the on his bra- on his uh, his block winners and and sort of who he thinks is is going to win. You know, he always says that uh, Ghetto and Giotto read him when he was when they were growing up. So he feels he feels connected to them booking wise, and we'll see how closely connected Dave Meltzer is with uh, with the booking for this show or with for for this G1. Okay, so uh, so Chris, um, I guess the the thing that I think most people listening who uh, you know who know of your work with New Japan, I, I, the question that always was on my mind, and I've asked you to tell me this in, in private our private conversations, but how did you get? acclimated with those guys like how did it get to the point of where you're sending you know those guys uh, stats and and information for their broadcasts um well i kind of just started doing it um so i mean really what happened is i'm a i'm a baseball nerd so like deep stats and and kind of creative statistics are like in my in my blood um so and and kind of what i recognize is that like that could absolutely translate to the world of professional wrestling in a way that helps tell the story. Um, so, I mean, really what happened was like last year during Best of Super Juniors, I started to kind of compile some data and put things together in a, in a way and try to organize things um, in a way that was interesting to me. And then um, last year during the G1, I put it on Twitter. Um, you know, I put together what I called the G1 box score. And I put that on Twitter and it included things like um, uh, average match time, average winning match time, total time, total ring time, um, pinning attempts, submission attempts, um, and kind of putting all those together and creating an aggregate and and creating kind of a ranking to build a a probability for for each block um, of who was going to win each block. And from from there, you know, I put it on Twitter. I tagged Rocky, Chris Charlton, and Kevin Kelly. And from there, it's it, it just became um, kind of a thing that I do. They they really enjoyed it, especially Kevin. Um, you know, Rocky and I have uh, interacted quite a bit on online too, and 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 Chris Charlton, and I've helped them out with some other kind of side projects that they have going on. So um, it just kind of snowballed from there. Um, and, and, and now at this point, it's a part of my rhythm. It's something that I take a lot of pride in. I'm always kind of looking at kind of other things that I can look at, but like the G1 is really, that's my, this is my bread and butter. So I'm really excited for this time of year. I really enjoy kind of the sport nature of it. And, um, you know, the fact that it's, it's an even playing field, these, 10 guys all face each other. So it really kind of balances out um, how you can look at things statistically because it removes a lot of noise. Right, right. So the shout outs that, that you get, I think, I think that's, you know, that's where 
I think I think when I first realized who you were, it was because I was watching one of the shows with uh, Dave Meltzer and John LaRocca. And Kevin Kelly was talking and I was just like, who is that guy? Like, like, did, you know, and, and Dave had, you know, some idea about about uh, what you were doing. And then so then I, I did start looking you up on Twitter and I thought it was so cool because you did just really kind of create this for yourself. And not that it isn't work. It, it is work to do this stuff, but it is also work that you enjoy. And so, you know, you've created a little bit of, of space for yourself to do something like this. Um do you feel uh, like connected to those guys? Like, like, do you feel like, oh yeah, I'm I'm sort of a part of this, or like, because how did? Because you know, it's not like you get to go and and talk on air or anything, but you do get the shout outs, and I think people have come to learn that you are the guy that that is helping them out. Like, do you do you feel connected to those guys? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um. So, and there there have been times when they reach out to me for specific um, information that is on their mind um so i'm kind of i kind of equate myself to being like the espn stats and info right and like that is a probably a, a group of guys or group of people that are pulling things together um but as you know new japan english broadcast like i'm their stats and info and um so yeah i, I do i feel connected to those guys um i i also kind of you know i obviously I'm also kind of creating a lane for myself where I, I've got my own website, sportofprowrestling.com, where I'm compiling this t- type of data for other companies too, just as a resource for professional wrestling fans that want to watch it as, um, as a sport more than they want to watch it as exclusively a story-driven device. Sure. Um, so, and I, I just, I felt like there's always been a gap there and I felt myself falling out of pro wrestling a little bit, um, without me having a way to contribute to the community. Um, so this was, this became my kind of avenue to do that. And it, it, it aligns with some skills in my, you know, my real, real job life too. Um, so it's, it's been really kind of a joy to be able to pull this stuff together and work with a, you know, what I consider to be a really, really good broadcast team too. I mean, Kevin Kelly's really good at keeping the stories up. Um, Rocky, when he's involved is, is a great asset from an in-ring perspective. And Chris Charlton is just a beacon of history and knowledge. (laughs) I mean, like I, I fear that like I, I could never, you know, I could never even get into that lane with those guys because he's so good. Um, so, but him and I, like, we kind of travel in the same lane, but we also diverge quite a bit. So, um, and he's a, he's a great dude. He's reached out to me for a couple of, or, you know, uh, a project recently. And, and just to, just to validate each other's data too, is kind of nice. No, it is, it is really cool. And, you know, I always talk about on this show, I, I really like to celebrate like the people who are creating content, so podcasters, but also the people who are kind of like creating their own lanes, creating their own niches. And like, this is how, you know, sports statistics data companies start. Like someone goes, oh, there's a need for X. I know how to do this. I'm going to do this and I'm going to see who wants it. So I think it's really cool that you're able to do this uh, for wrestling. Um, okay, so let's actually start talking about this uh, this tournament here. Um, the round robin, the A block and the B block, uh, you know, normal tournaments like 
you know, you see like a WWE tournament or something. It's just single, you know, single elimination. And, you know, it's sort of like NCAA style, kind of how the, the New Japan Cup works. But this is a little different in that every wrestler faces each other in their specific block and you have a rankings and you have a point system and then the winner of that block will face the winner of the other block what do you think about the round robin way that they do this because it does make the g1 special because you know this is the this is the tournament that's very intensive and it's long and you got to keep an eye on it and you got to make sure you're following like do you do you like the g1 for all of those for all of that stuff absolutely um I like the G1 differently than I enjoy, say, a single elimination tournament. So, because a single elimination tournament, the thing about it is, if each each match, each game, like no matter, like regardless of the sport, like you have to play like to win. Um, Because if you lose, you're out forever. Now, in a, I think the G1 and round robin tournaments specifically in pro wrestling, they work as a story device in themselves too, because you, you can build stories throughout these wrestlers, nine matches and through the nine different cards and how they're built. And you can, you can start to see where they're going, or maybe you see who's going to have that kind of um, comeback story or who's starting off hot like John Moxley last year. Um, and it, it, it creates a lot more space to build drama. Yeah, no, it's, it's really, it's a really cool thing. And I guess the thing that is intriguing is I want to say, um, is it the college world series that also does a round Robin style? Because there, there are, there, there's one of the, one of the, um, one of the tournaments uh, you either does or, or used to do around Robin style. And I was always confused as a kid going like, oh, okay, so they're playing, you know, uh, Wichita State is playing Mississippi Valley State or Mississippi State. And then the winner doesn't knock out the loser. They're both still playing and then they got to play other teams. And then I was always confused from a points perspective in who was and, and how you sort of qualified and moved on to the next level. I would imagine that people have sort of the same thoughts on the G1. Like it might be a little bit hard to follow, but what do you think about that? Does it, does the fact that it's hard to follow make it more intriguing or do you think it makes it a little scary for some folks? I think it's intimidating for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know about the college world series. I know that that's how the little league world series has always worked. Um, and, and a lot of little league stuff. So if you've played little league, you've probably played in, in a round robin tournament, but, um, that's neither here nor there. It, it is intimidating to think, okay, I've got to see where this is going to go over the course of a month, right? And um, and it's not obvious that if this person loses, they're out. And who, what are the points? And what are tiebreakers? Like, honestly, there's been times, plenty of times, even since I started interacting with the English guys, that the English broadcast guys, that they're like, I don't know <laughs> what the tiebreakers are. So I'm going to hope that this guy wins because that means he's got more points. And it's right, done, right, right, right. So I think that it, it, but I think it's okay to recognize that you can parachute in, in the middle, check where the points are at, look at, you know, any, anyone who's got a, a block 
um, table that's set up that'll tell you who beat who just for tiebreakers. Um, and I think it's okay to like to miss a couple of events if you're not super engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you get towards the end, it'll start to either get really clear or really unclear of who where where things are headed and who could win still. So, but yeah, I mean it 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 can be a daunting task to look at it and say, okay, it's you know what ninety matches. It's, I mean, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot in a short amount of time for what fans are usually accustomed to watching. Because I think I would, I would say, if if you know, from a a wrestling quality perspective, like these are all high quality shows. These aren't shows like uh, Raw, where ha- you know, no one really cares what happens in some of those matches. Like you really care in every match what happens because it plays into the block and it plays into the rankings and it, it, it like counts. Like, I guess this goes back to your idea of why you wanted to do your website from a sports perspective. These matches count because they go on a record. Like, I don't know. Like if, if I was randomly watching raw and I was like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, we're in September here. I wonder what Randy Orton's one loss record is in WWE. Who, like only someone like you, who's a, who would calculate that, would know. But just a, a an average fan, right? Like a casual fan, there's a reason why WWE doesn't display records because they don't want that stuff to necessarily matter. But in the G1, it's absolutely everything that matters. So I think that's it's a, it's an interesting thing because fans are not accustomed to watching wrestling in this way. Yeah, and I think that um, you see a little bit of it with AEW, right? With the the win loss records and trying to um, trying to establish that as a at least as a story device. It's not the end all be all there where it is in in a tournament like the G one, but it, it does exist, and and I think that that's a, a good step forward towards that type of approach. Um, so, but. The, the cool thing about the G1 and, and any of these round-robin tournaments, there's a couple in Japan, right? So if you're not a New Japan fan, um, you know, All Japan Pro Wrestling and, and Pro Wrestling Noah are also both running their their round-robin tournaments at the same time right now. So, But the the G1 is really the, the, the world-class of... It's the grade one. I mean, it's the world-class of um, single, you know, singles wrestling, you know, tournaments. Uh, so, you know, the cool thing is right now everyone's at zero you don't need to really know anything and you can jump in right now and start to get to know these guys and who 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 you enjoy and you can see where this goes over the course of the the 19 different cards that that they'll be running over the next month yeah um so before the um before the roster of the wrestlers who were going to be in the g1 came out you and i were kind of talking about um, how the G1 was going to work this year. Obviously, with COVID-19, that changed. Uh, I'm sure it changed for some folks, uh, some of the thought process of, okay, who's who can actually be here? Guys would have to come in and quarantine. And I know in Japan, they were not letting people come into the country um, as easily. But basically, when we saw the rosters, they were really good and, and the rosters were really strong. Are there any people who are not is there anyone not in it who you thought would have been in it 
pre-COVID-19? Because I was trying to think of like, who's missing? Like who's missing from this roster that that wouldn't have been in? But it looks like they got like almost everybody, right? They got, as far as I can tell, they got pretty much everyone that they, that I would have assumed would have been in. That wouldn't have been a surprise to me. Um, The only person that's not on the list that maybe would have been depending on where his relationship was was john moxley true he is still the he's still the u.s champ for new japan and he has been very vocal that he really enjoys working new japan so um depending on where he was at and if he could clear the schedule and if he wanted to do another g1 um then i think we may have seen him on this list but otherwise i mean this is actually the first g1 in it at least since the second or third where there's no, it's nobody's first G one. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of, that's actually a really unique point to this year's roster is that everyone's done this before, uh, at least once. And, and like for a guy like Yujiro Takahashi, it's been a little while, but he, he did quite a few in the early 2010s. So normally there's one or two new guys um, and really what happens is like every five or six years, there's kind of a big reset of like, who's in the G1, you drop four or five guys and you add four or five guys and then the rest kind of just like shuffle through. So this year, no new guys, everyone's done this before. They all know what to expect. And, um, I think that that actually plays to their, to their strength, especially given the, the situation. Okay, let's uh, take a quick break here. Chris, hang with me. I'm going to read about uh, our, our, our new sponsor, uh, Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. I know my company, we did not actually stop hiring. I know a lot of companies did stop hiring, but there are companies hiring. Uh, my, my company is one of them. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply and offer is valid through September 30th. So you still have until the end of this month. Okay, so looking at the 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 shows as, as scheduled, I mean, this thing kicks off like... <laughs> Like right away, uh, first night, uh, it's it's uh, it's um, uh, Okada and and uh, Ibushi. Like right away, like like it's a ridiculous start to this thing. But I imagine as you looked through the schedule, there were certain nights that you're like, oh, this is like the must see night. Oh, this is the must see night. Which ones stood out for you as like the best nights of the tournament? I mean, 
it's hard for me to look away from any of those A block nights. So um, A block is just stacked with just incredible wrestlers um and 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 a bunch of first time matchups too which is kind of cool um that's kind of something that i keep an eye out for during the g1 because um this is when you're gonna see guys interact that maybe you wouldn't see interact because they're in different kind of spaces in in new japan right so um or they're relatively new so like a guy like shingo takagi's got three first time matchups this this cycle um and they are kota ibushi kazuchika okada and yujiro takahashi so you can kind of throw that yujiro match out because no one's excited about seeing yujiro in this <laughs> tournament um but that i might, mean that might be like the the sleeper storyline of the tournament who's gonna get the best match absolutely. out of yujiro absolutely yeah, because, I mean, he's one of those guys, I mean, in the New Japan community, people joke about, like, what's going to be Yujiro's one great match of the year. Yeah. And, like, last year he didn't, I don't even know if he had a singles match, to be honest, so I don't know that he had that match last year, so he's got to be ready for it. But, yeah, so, I mean, I look at the Shingo, you know, Shingo Takagi against Ibushi and Okada, and, like, for any fan who's who's paid attention to dragon gate at all where shingo used to be um that match against abushi is a dream match because they their styles just you you would think they're gonna mesh um and that is happening where did i lose it i feel like that's in it's pretty early in the tournament so I can't I can't find the date right now, but <laughs> uh, as I'm looking at these cards, but so that's a match that's 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 on my radar, and then you know a guy like Will Osprey against Ishii, like those are guys that have been in a lot of tag matches together, but they've never fought each other. So and like so that's what's so cool about the you know the block tournament. So because technically Will Osprey and Ishii are both in chaos, so they don't fight each other. Um, so they're gonna finally get in the ring uh, at the same time. So like I'm always keeping an eye out for those those big first time matches. So I think it's um it's gonna be really interesting the pacing of this tournament because I know that a lot of what New Japan has done this year. Um, you know, at least in the main event scene, you know, a lot of a lot of fans are like, ah, you know, I'm I'm giving it a chance, even if I don't really love it. This is, I think, the the thing that's going to turn uh, or remind everybody about what the best wrestling is on uh that that people can watch because at least you know I I know it's going to be hard as far as just the idea of having these shows without as many people in the crowd as, as they, you know, would have wanted, but still it's just the, the prestige of this tournament, the reputation of this tournament, the bar for this tournament is so high. And every year you watch and you go, okay, they cannot repeat what they did the previous year and they either get close or they go over it. And so it's, it's a really amazing sort of standard that it seems like every wrestler involved wants to continue and so that, that's why i think you know even if you haven't been happy with new japan since the since the shutdown since the um the pandemic started i think we're gonna get back to what people expect from new japan how do you feel about sort of what they've done since uh since the pandemic and obviously you know heading into this tournament yeah so new japan um you know they really they took an extended 
time off during the COVID-19 pandemic. They were really careful. And then they came back with the New Japan Cup. And I think that everything that's happened between the New Japan Cup and the big um, Summer Struggle and Jingu show that they did, this big outdoor stadium show that they did um, so that they could have socially distanced fans and it's outdoors and and, um, really, really careful, but still a big event. Um, I think everything that happened between that tournament and EVIL winning and EVIL winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and then Tetsuya Naito eventually winning the title back in a baseball stadium um, from EVIL and, and... you know, kind of going off the air with uh, fireworks in the background. I feel like everything that's happened since they've come back is kind of in the, at least in the main event scene, it's going to be approached as being kind of like in a vacuum. And I think that um, they took an opportunity to try some things in a, in a world where they didn't necessarily have to sell as many tickets and stay as hot. And some of those things didn't work. Some of those things worked kind of, some of those things worked for different segments of the the fandom. But I think the G1 is the, is the big reset. I think we're going to see things and, and we're in go mode. So if they're going to run the Tokyo dome in January, like they usually do and have their biggest show of the year, like they're going to have to put some stuff together a lot faster than they normally do. Cause the G one's usually a summer tournament. Right. So, um, so I think that all of the criticism that New Japan's gotten is fair um, because it has been a, a little bit of a different approach than we're used to as as watchers of the product. Um, but I think it was it was all worth it was worth trying. It was worth putting out there, and I think it did have a payoff. And I think that I think you're right. The G1 is going to be the reminder that. New Japan is still the world class of of in ring singles heavyweight competition without a doubt. So, do you have any thoughts on your block? Like, if you if you have you taken a look at the blocks and and thought who you think are the best um, the best chances to win, and maybe even sleepers? Uh, because you know, I, I came in when I started watching the G one. Uh, it was um, it would have been the year after Kenny won, I think. And so I like I, I I wasn't watching a lot of New Japan because it wasn't really easy to watch. But once New Japan World came out, I started watching a lot more. And so I like I don't even know was was what would, would Kenny have been a favorite or would he have been a sleeper that year in the tournament when he did win? Like and and are there any sleepers that you think could possibly win in this tournament? So Kenny would Kenny was a favorite um, for a couple of years there, and and Kenny had a kind of a classic build where he got into a block final and he was still in the running towards the end of the tournament, and then eventually got over that hump. So and and that's really kind of a classic two or three year story arc that that um, that we see from New Japan pretty frequently. So like in 2018, the final was Tanahashi and Ibushi. Ibushi lost in the final. 2019, Ibushi gets to the final, finally gets over the hump. Mm-hmm. Right. So typically, that's that's a lot of what happens. Now this year feels a little bit like a reset. Um, this year, normally what you can do is you can go and look at the last two nights, the last two cards of block competition, and you can 
get a read on what match is going to be the kind of the, the quote unquote block final, the deciding match. And this year, uh, when they announced the cards, I jumped to night 17 and night 18 and I have no idea where we're headed. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that's awesome. I love that because I, um, the last, I don't, I want to say four or five years, um, here, here, I've got it. The last five years, the G1 block finals have featured the top stars facing off. So 2015 was Tanahashi and Styles, Nakamura and Okada, right? So like the, you knew that those were the finals. 2016, Okada and Tanahashi, Naito and Omega. 2017, Naito and Tanahashi, Okada and Omega. 2018, Okada and Tanahashi, Omega and Ibushi. 2019, Okada and Ibushi, White and Naito. So like you knew that those were probably the deciding matches. And there was some other stuff that needed to come into play in the undercards of those cards. But this year, the those final two nights, it's I mean, it's wide open. So in regards to sleepers, so here's the thing. A block winner can literally be anyone. Right. Because when it comes down to it, there's, there's not much... Um, there's not much at stake with with having someone win a block and not win the tournament. Sure. Right. So a block winner can be can be anyone. So, you know, a guy like Shingo Takagi, depending on where New Japan sees him, uh, because he's not an internal guy. And that that's um, someone that we, we may see just live in that kind of never open weight space for a long time. Right. Um, but he could definitely win a block. Um guy like Hiroki Goto, he's won a bunch of blocks and, and, you know, he rarely, he's only, you know, won the G1 once, but he's been in the finals five times. So it's, this one's tough. It's really tough. And especially because you don't know, they don't give you the match order for the last two nights either for the, for the last night of each block. Right. So they set that based on the stakes. So we haven't seen Will Ospreay in a little while. We haven't seen Jay White in a little while. Uh, we haven't seen Juice Robinson in a little while. I, I know that, you know, I've seen pictures of Will, and he looks like he's put on quite a bit of muscle. I haven't really seen Jay White. I know he was he did one of the uh, the Friday Night New Japan shows recently. I didn't, I didn't get to watch it. Um, and I haven't seen Juice. I, I imagine Juice is going to come in, you know, maybe with a new look or something. But uh, what do you think about the guys who really haven't been a part of the reboot, and then now they got to come into this tournament, which is... You know, the when it comes to being in shape, like, you know, you've heard guys over and over just go like, oh, my gosh, like this is the most, uh, you know, this is the craziest thing I've ever done as far as, you know, the, the taxing that I'm putting on my body. I don't envy that task of, of jumping right in. I mean, a guy like Osprey. Um, yeah. Again, I've, we've all seen the pictures on, on Twitter. He's beefed up. He's muscular. But like he hasn't wrestled in that. I mean, he's wrestled a little bit, but not at this level in that state of his body. So that's going to be something to keep an eye out for. I, like you said, I haven't seen Juice Robinson. I mean, he's not on, he's not on Twitter. He doesn't do social media. Uh, he's he did one like kind of oddball interview over the course of the pandemic and now all of a sudden he's back in the g1 so yeah i um you know those guys it that's a that's a wrinkle this year right how in shape are they can they go through this grueling tournament and perform you know both performatively but also on the sports side like can they win 
Um, so, and, and I mean that you got to figure that's going to come into play and in these, in these later cards. I do worry a little bit about injuries. I know that they've spaced out the events a little bit. Um, but you know, you watch Tanahashi now, I imagine Tanahashi is beat up all the hell, but I imagine that he's also working some of these injuries to make it look like he's maybe worse off than he is. But you look at this kind of tournament, you go, man, Tanahashi limps when he walks, like, how can he get through this? But he's continued to do it, you know, over and over and over again. So I, I kind of worry a little bit about that, but, um, you know, overall, I think someone like Osprey. Uh, I think he's an athletic freak and, and you know, he gets hurt every once in a while too. It's not like he's immune to that, but um, I don't know. I'm just looking at like thinking, okay, you know, how are guys going to get through this? It is intensive. It is grueling. Uh, you worry about the injury uh, injuries in general, but then adding to the multiple shows and the, and the hard matches that they have. Uh, my my whole worry with this whole thing is that you know some guys kind of get hurt and and can't finish. How does New Japan deal with if there are injuries in the tournament? Do if someone has to get pulled out of the tournament? Do do the do their opponents just automatically get the W? Yeah, yeah, it's treated as a forfeit. So, um, and that has only happened a couple times in G one, and it's never been, um, it's never been catastrophic to you know what you'd imagine would have happened. Um, but it it has happened recently in Best of Super Juniors, um, and yeah, it, it it becomes a forfeit. The other. Um, the other wrestler gets those two points and, and a win and, and they, they move on and sometimes they've got to probably shuffle around who beats who uh, later on in the tournament. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it is one of those, those risks. I think that that risk is mitigated a little bit because there's no undercard tag. So normally during the G1 right. um, on, say on the B block night, so the, the B block is having their block matches. The A block would have what, what, would be called preview tags where a couple of the guys who are against each other are in a four, you know, three or four guy tag and they're going to interact a little bit and have some ring time together and, and start to build towards their singles match. Then the next card. So that has been eliminated this year. Um, mostly due to uh, keeping people safe from the pandemic, keeping the the personnel on all these shows really small. And, you know, if, if something, you know, God forbid, if something happens to one of the blocks, um, at least um, they're only potentially rescheduling one block worth of wrestlers. So um, that will actually potentially keep these guys fresher. Um, and it may actually improve, not that anyone's working super hard during those undercard tags, but, um, it's still work. So, um, it, it, I think that that will help keep guys, um, healthy. All right. So what is your strategy in watching this tournament? Cause you know, we just mentioned how grueling it is for the wrestlers as a wrestling fan. We're not necessarily used to watching, so many shows in in uh, in successive days or this amount of shows in a week. Like you know, if you're a baseball fan, you're pretty much used to watching your team. You know, every day or four out of six days or five out of seven days. But with wrestling, when it comes to something that you're really going to pay attention to, uh, it, it, we don't usually have that. And then you add the time difference because of uh, being in Japan. Like it could be 
intimidating, like you said earlier, but also grueling for a fan. Like, what's your strategy in getting ahead of this thing and not getting behind and then getting swallowed up by being behind so many matches that it's it's, it's literally so hard to catch up? So I'm a... I'm a nut, so I'm a I'm a live watcher most more than oh anything. my goodness. Um, I mean, so my um, my real job, I get up at you know four or five in the morning most days anyway. Um, so this is uh most most of these cards land around there central time i'm in chicago so i i honestly like i i have the the blessing of being able to like shift my work day a little bit later um so i'll get up at my normal time um get the pot of coffee on and throw on the card and 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 watch the show so that's that's typically my strategy there are definitely days that i'm gonna skip that and just watch when i when i wake up stay off twitter and stay unspoiled um but you know, when I was first starting to watch these big tournaments in Japan, my my whole thing was just skipping the undercards mostly, um, just because it, it's time consuming, and th- and that yeah. won't be a problem this year because you've got one young lion match um, on each card, so it, it becomes a lot easier to just like toss on the show and let it roll because um, that's maybe ten minutes and and they're in they're out and it's it's actually usually pretty enjoyable to watch so. Um, and from there, it's just a matter of, you know, squeezing it in. I think at this, this year, you're probably looking at two hours in and out for the, for the full card in all likelihood, um, which is a little bit more palatable than the probably three, three and a half that you were looking at for some of these cards, uh, in, in previous years. Um, and I think that a good strategy is kind of like if you mentioned baseball, right? So like if you're a fan of an American league team, in all likelihood, you're going to be a little bit more inclined to watch um, other American league games. Mm -hmm. So if you're just, if you're just starting to watch and you're interested in, in trying to get into it, but you're a little, um, you you feel like it's a little bit daunting, pick one of the blocks, like Mm -hmm. pick your favorite wrestler, pick one of the blocks and watch those shows and you'll know at least one guy that goes to the finals um there will be some other interactions that you see on the show or the broadcast team will probably do a nice job of keeping you up on what's happening in the other block um and you can kind of funnel your way through uh without watching you know by only watching say eight cards instead of 16 or, or 18 um, that that I think, and and if it were me, I'd be watching A Block because I think the wrestling's gonna be really good. But if you like really good, strong um, storytelling and story style matches, B Block is is really where you're gonna want to be too because you've got really big characters in in that block. All right, before we let you go, I know you I know you have some really great nuggets that that you're gonna send the guys because they're they're not doing every show right they're not doing the u.s broadcast of or the english broadcast of every show like they're they're sort of picking and choosing they will do english on all all of the cards i don't know i haven't gotten the list of what they're doing live yet though um they did summer struggle and jingu live um for remote and neither neither chris charlton or kevin kelly was actually in the building there and it went pretty well but my understanding is that they're not going to do the entire g1 live this time but they will go back and get those cards up in english within 24 to 36 hours got it so don't spoil your best nugget but do you have a, a small morsel 
of something you could share with us that you're kind of getting ready to send to those guys? Oh man. I, uh, to be honest, like I'm, I'm just now getting to the point where the morsels are coming through. <laughs> um, so, you know, like my, my process involves compiling a ton of data and then kind of, uh, it down. slicing it yeah, right yeah. and and so i mean really the first thing because i i've been i've been running around helping people preview uh kind of at the at the this level right where we're talking about like the whole tournament um i'm looking at things like first time matches and, and, and things like that so um you know i the 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 best thing that i've got right now is that you know keep an eye on hiroshi tanahashi the guy has had more g1 matches than anyone um it's his 19th straight tournament and um literally the the man just steps up every year to um to perform in the g1 and last year he wasn't in the running during the uh the last couple of cards but this year that's the story like the story with Mm -hmm. him is that he's kind of washed up and him and ibushi have got this kind of awkward tag team going on where ibushi's clearly still got it and tanahashi is is falling off but they've they've gone to this story before and he ended up you know performing really well and showing that he's still got it so um you know next year is going to be his 20th straight g1 you you've got to wonder if they're going to build towards a great performance next year so i mean he's he's the guy to watch on a on a broad scale just because of the sheer um the sheer volume that the man has put out in the g1 and and every year he delivers no matter his health he's had torn biceps he's had busted knees and um somehow he still um he still really performs as a, as a top performer every year and his first match this year is against tetsuya naito for the first time since 2017 so and he and naito's the champ so you got to figure tanahashi he may not need to win the g1 to get himself a title shot because if right. he wins that match um he may you know we may be seeing tanahashi and naito at, at a show like power struggle in a, in a month or two do you get a sense of how long he's going to be able to do it at such a high level because even in his current state where you can tell he's hurt like there's still such a mastery of pro wrestling from him i don't see him on like the downhill slide yet i see them using it as as part of his arc but i don't i mean like he can still show up and bring the i mean he brings the crowd to a whole nother level and that's that's he's the ace i mean he's the ace so like he's gonna go until he can no longer go and it's gonna be a really um it's gonna be a sad day when he transitions to just the multi-man um just the multi-man tags at the beginning of the cards or that first g1 that gets announced and he's not in it um because he has proven time and time again that he can just he can still go and it's it's amazing it's he's an incredible gift to the pro wrestling yeah absolutely um okay so you mentioned your website mention it again and also mentioned where people can find you on twitter and anything else you're doing in 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 previewing these shows or where else you're going to be yeah so the best place to find anything that i do uh is sportofprowrestling.com um anything that i post anywhere on the internet gets kind of funneled there and at least there's a link um from there so and then I've got relationships with guys like Voices of Wrestling. So I'm going to be doing audio preview, um, kind of audio audio previews of each card on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Um, 
and kind of the best place to really keep up is Twitter. Um, I am the Chris Samsa. That's T H E C H R I S S A M S A. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super active when I'm watching shows live. I usually post, um, match stats as this, as the matches are happening, regardless of if it's, uh, being broadcast in English or Japanese. So hopefully I can help supplement your watching if you are, um, one of the wild people that are waking <laughs> up early to watch these things live or staying up late. I mean, there's, there's a couple of cards that are midnight my time which would be what 10 o'clock on on your coast carrot so like that yeah. that's not even so bad that second night it's a, i think it's a 10 p.m for you yeah yeah absolutely um oh so you know just want to say thank you in in helping us with this g1 challenge i know i've used i used your bracket uh in the past with uh with the new japan cup so you know you do a, a really great service for folks who follow this stuff closely so really appreciate it hang with me the wait is finally over football is back and you may not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online chris your baseball team the chicago white Sox, are uh, leading the american league american league uh, as of this taping you, what do you think they're like what do you how are you feeling like for playoffs and stuff because the playoffs this year are a little wacky with the with so many wild card teams and second place winners but you know you guys got a really good team you guys got some really young uh, like just blue chippers on that team. How are you feeling come playoff season? I've never felt better, uh, except in 2005. So we have that going for us. I didn't expect this, but I I didn't expect this this year. But I will take it, and I will take it to the bank. <laughs> so yeah, so maybe put a little action on the White Sox using Bet Online. Uh, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. And don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. BLUEWIRE, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. All right, I'm so excited to talk to Chris that I forgot to mention that John and I are uh, our WCW Saturday Night segment is up next. So uh, I'll, I'll dial John in in a second here, and we're going to talk about WCW Saturday Night shows from September 5th and September 12th last week when when uh, when we did our show. He he had only watched Clash of Champions, so we did the Clash, and then now we'll do two shows for this next segment. So let me bring on John. All right, John, last show, we only did the Clash of the Champions 20. We didn't actually talk about the following WCW Saturday night. So instead, this week, we will talk about the September 5th 92 show and the September 12th 92 show. Now, the maybe this is good for us. Both of those shows were short. They were not the two-hour version. And the second night also had the the uh, video that you hated, the movie with the Halloween Havoc movie. So that was like mm. six minutes off the off the uh, the TV time there. So we'll get through these. This is sort of like one show combined into two anyway. So let let's dig in here. Uh, one thing was pretty interesting is. Teddy Long is on both shows as uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy, uh, yeah. I, call, I, I wrote Jimmy, Jim <laughs> Ross's 
second well, in the beginning of both well, shows. Shouldn't we just start off say lay oh, shout out to all the homies that are listening, all the homies, um, all about the homies, and I'm gonna see all the homies and sign autographs later with all the homies. So when did he start saying playa? Uh, I think that was maybe he's Nitro Manager days. Oh, he didn't really do that because he wasn't getting much airtime on yeah, know, yeah, Nitro yeah. Manager. So maybe it was just WWF uh, when he was doing that. But I forgot 1992 homie was uh, the, the the a word to say back then a lot. So um, I just the, the second episode is particularly where he just just that intro where he's talking about the homies and going to see the homies and loves the homies and. All right, homies. <laughs> Let's do this. But I like Teddy Long, man. I always love that guy. He's yeah. good. Yeah, he's yeah, good. It's great. All right, so the beginning of this September 5th show, the first match is Valentine Slater and Scotty Flamingo versus Johnny B. Bad, Mark Alexander Bagwell, and the Z-Man. I was actually surprised that the Babyfaces won this match. Um, Yeah, that, it was a nice surprise. It was a good match, too. I like the finish. The finish is great. Well-timed. Uh, crowd was hot for it. Um, it was a... They had a, it was a shorter show, it was our show, so they cut time. It was lot, all action, and it was love. It was like one of those two-hour shows. They probably had that long, a very long heat with the grinding, yeah. Yeah. But I, which I don't, which I like. But you know, a lot of people today probably wouldn't care for that style. Oh yeah, we, there there would have there would have been lots of uh, lots of sub- submission attempts mm-hmm. and arm bars and yeah. headlocks and stuff. But I, I guess I was surprised because so far what we'd seen out of Z Man is he was sort of a blown up jobber, like he would just be the kind of the 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 the, the babyface that people actually knew mm-hmm. and then he would put over the nasty mean heel and he's the one who gets the pin here so i was like what's going on what this is not the z-man that i've seen so far well you also got to give guys in that mid-card position a win here and there to keep that position right so if yeah. not they're just the they're just a job guy all right and so in the um the next match is you know they're heating up barbarian something fierce here barbarian gets a match every week and uh, he fought, uh, he faced Kip AB, mm-hmm. no entrances, uh, barbarian with the big boot. Like that's kind of his thing is he, he's in there for about a minute and a half and the, the uh, enhancement talent eats the big foot and they're putting over the big foot. Like he's got like a loaded boot. Like his foot is so powerful. It's yeah. almost like uh, it's, it's, a, it's a secret weapon. It's like, they're not calling that. I'm surprised Jim Ross didn't mention it. Cause yeah, he's, he's doing the, the kick and stomping the foot three, the foot three times, like the old interns or um, the grappler used to do. So I thought that was uh pretty interesting, but uh, yeah, fun. You know, I like these Barbie squash. They're just, they're just, just go kill them. And the foot looks good way. too. Oh, the boot looks it. great. Like even when they slow motion it, he's he's connecting. Like, yeah, yeah. He's he's connecting in a way that's believable, even if he's not killing the guy. And really, I mean, really safe with it. You know, really safe with it. And um, I mean, you know, the big boot's one of my favorite moves in wrestling, right? Like a real well timed big boot always looks just so killer. And and he throws it differently. So obviously, I think people are like, oh, you know, the Hogan boot, which Hogan, I like too. Which Hogan like too. puts puts his foot up, and the person runs into it. In this one. Barbarian puts his foot up, but he also kicks at the end. So he's actually creating the contact versus the yeah. guy's just running into it. So it's kind of it, cool. It looks more powerful and it looks like a, like a finishing move. So he yeah. did. Yeah. Okay. So like we said, this is like a 35 minute show. So they went right to the main event. It is Anderson Eaton with PS Hayes in their corner against the Steiners. Lots of Scott Steiner selling early on. Uh, Hayes actually runs him into the post shoulder first, mm-hmm. um, and then so there's a, a little bit of a mix up as 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 we get to the finish. 
uh, I forget what Rick is trying to, or uh, I forget what Scott is Arn. trying to do, but uh, yeah, he's tied up with Arn. Yeah. But then Bobby Eaton, because the referee is is looking the other way, uh, Bobby Eaton goes to the top and hits the Alabama jam onto Rick as Rick is kind of crawling. And so he they get the they get the win with uh, with the illegal move, but the referee didn't see it, so they they win the match. They're they're the heels, and they're the new number one contenders to Doc and Gordy's titles, which is interesting because mm-hmm. it's heel versus heel. But with Michael P.S. Hayes in their corner, he's kind of got the the secrets on Doctor Death and yeah. Gordy. So he, that that's the hook there for that match. Yeah, this is overall good booking. I thought the I thought Jim Ross might have I think he may have stayed. I think Anderson was technically legal, but he but Bobby Eaton wasn't. That's why he connected the off the top rope, which at the time which apparently is still illegal, right? Yeah. We'll yeah. Find Even out though the fans week. voted. Even though the fans voted, it's still under review. Thanks, Bill. Um <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this match was really good overall. Did you see towards the, the end where uh Scotty's fighting off Michael Hayes and he just like clocks him. <laughs> like with a big old like overhead, like not even like a forearm smash, just like a winging arm, but like his his forearm hits him and just like connects pretty pretty solid on Michael Hayes. I thought that was awesome. Um but yeah, I, I like this. I like this kind of booking where you think, oh, well, this is Iron Brothers are gonna win and they're gonna face, you know, Doc and Gordy at the Halloween High pay-per-view again, right? But no, it's like a nice little, you know, we still got weeks till the pay-per-view got Gosh, what six weeks maybe? Yeah, like five or six weeks, and and here's a nice little curveball. Like, oh shoot, the Bay faces aren't gonna go, and what's gonna happen now? Can they get there? How are they gonna get there? Do they ever get there? So, this is good stuff. Uh, Watts is always good at keeping people on their toes with a lot of stuff. All right, so uh, we, I think we get a PS Hayes interview to end the show. And then this uh, the second show, so the uh, September twelfth. Uh, Teddy and JR again. And, and in one of like, this is like a bowling shoe ugly moment for JR. The Steiners come out and they do the interview. <laughs> Scott has like cotton mouth. Like he's like, can't spit out what he's trying to spit out. And then Rick tries to save him. Like Rick sees Scott struggling and he's like, isn't, isn't, what, what, wasn't that a good interview, right? There's like, like trying to pat his brother on the back. I don't know if he was saving him or just ribbing him at that point. Well, I mean, like, it could have been ribbing him, yeah, too, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah. but it was almost like, okay, let, let me take care of this. Like, I'll come in and, and, and save this. And he can't get the right words out. Not, uh, I think he, no, he set, got the he, right words because he said exactly the same thing Sky just well, well, but he's like setting up a match that doesn't actually happen. Yeah, yeah. And Jim Ross has to kind of go like, uh, you know, I don't think you know. I don't think that's gonna happen. But he had he had his own words for what Rick was doing. You know, he mentioned I, I forgot when, when they came back. Um, oh yeah, you know, goofy or I, I don't know exact words that he did, but it was one of those you know bowling shoe ugly moments where uh, where he actually referenced that this wasn't exactly what yeah. was supposed to happen. Yeah. Scott, I mean Scott, even Rick, they were never the the strongest with their promo skills, but they. At least with Rick, he had that you you know that, that unique charisma, the goofy character, the crazy character, mm-hmm. and they always did it well. Where they you know usually nine times out of ten, Scott would start and Rick would finish the promo because even if it's still bad, yeah, Rick is like, like the hawking animal. Yeah, yeah, Rick 
could say just nonsense, but with his crazy way and his charisma, you're kind of like, all right, cool, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, you know, of course, later on, Scott became such a fun promo because he would say whatever, wacky. Of course, the famous one with Samoa Joe and the math problem. <laughs> and he became like a big cult hit with uh, me and my buddies. We just would, we were like, we were like waiting for just clips of Scott Steiner's promo. We didn't really watch Impact or TNA as a call back then, but... The YouTube clips, the Scott Steiner's promo, that's what he calls Small Joe, you're Sloppy Joe. <laughs> Just, yeah, God bless Scott Steiner, man. <laughs> okay, so the uh, the next, or actually the, the first match on the show is stunning Steve Austin against Chris Sullivan. And every time I watch Austin on this show, I'm just like, okay, why is he messing with this TV title? How come he's not, you know, facing Ron Simmons in the, in the main event? Like, what's going on here? Because he, he looks awesome. This was the a uh, very quick match, but obviously stun gun finish at this point. But he carries himself like the biggest star in the company. It's it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. you know what's at this point? What's from he from from this moment after he loses the TV title to December? Like Watts really doesn't even have an idea. And even when they put the blondes together, or at least Pillman and 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 Austin together, they didn't have the name yet. Even then, they were just thrown together, right? Yeah. So he, I'm always that was always a surprise to me that he didn't make it a priority to find something of substance for Steve Austin. I always thought that was weird, and same with Pillman. But I know they had some issues with contract stuff, so that's probably what played into that. But like I always said, like I don't understand why they would have issues, and I don't understand why he would have a problem with this Pillman's contract, even though it was pretty high, considering probably what they're doing business wise and what he was making. But at the same time, like he seems like a Watts guy, Brian Pillman. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's one thing I would always like to pick Bill Watts's brain about. Maybe I have to pick Jim Ross's brain about one day and ask him like, why in that time did he just, cause he, you, you know, football player, you know, from football, former football player, et cetera. Like he's a, he's a Watts guy, Steve. Austin. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, okay, so then Watts, speaking of Watts, he comes out and Ross asks him a question and Watts is kind of a dick to Ross. He's like, oh, you asked me like three different things there. Mm-hmm. But basically, what's up with this, uh, uh, you know, this off the top rope rule? And so they talk about this light heavyweight tournament that they're going to have. And in this tournament, the off the top rope rule for disqualification will be waived. So they'll be able to use all of their high flying moves. And so I, I, I watched the next match and it's Scotty Flamingo and Brad Armstrong and Brad Armstrong is completely healthy. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell? Why did they take the belt off of him? Like he's fine. Like, I don't remember this. I didn't remember this. Just, I don't know. I wonder how I, th- I mean, I saw these episodes. So I'm surprised. I wonder, I'm trying to think of how I felt back then, but yeah. I think I, I think I was like, well, why can't they do the tournament now? Or why, why, why didn't they just strip him and just hold it off the next taping thing right. so he can wrestle, right? Like, at least just, you still give the advertised match. When, when you see the promo with uh, with Pillman and, and Armstrong, you're like, okay, they should just have a match, mm-hmm. and the winner gets the belt. Like, why, why is this so hard? Yeah, yeah. Why well, I don't, I don't think they knew what to do with that lightweight title. I think they had an, it was it was created for you know Chusen Liger and Brian Pillman, right? And they just never had a plan. Like that was like kind of like that's just the, the story of WCW. Is their planning was poor, poor planning, and and like God, it could have been so easy. All you had to do is you know book work 
what you know work closely with New Japan and bring those guys in and share talent there and also and also use some of the luchadors you know they could have got and kind of mix that in and made it you made it unique and separate but you know those old guys didn't have that mentality so it's never never got to bat and I think Watts maybe at one point he probably did thought about like bringing it back but like but look at who they kept promoting as lightweights Johnny B. Bad's a heavyweight you know Tom Zink's a heavyweight even you know Brian Pillman yeah fits in there a Tim Horner might fit. I don't know if he's even around. Brad Armstrong's a freaking heavyweight man. Look how thick that guy, you know, looks out there. Mm-hmm. And so it just looked ridiculous when you're talking about light heavyweights when these guys could be challenging for the world title. You know? Brad Armstrong is basically built like Kenny Omega. Yeah, yeah, and but I, you know, I think Brad. This is a sad mentality about the business back then. Is that you know you got you know if you weren't working you weren't getting paid right you know for the most part. I mean I think Brad had a contract, but still he's not getting his probably full guarantee because he's injured. So you could tell his knees were, you know, well taped and he just was smooth as hell out there. And, um, and this was a, this was a fun match with Scotty Flamingo. He, yeah, uh, he, he hits that sweet side uh, Russian leg sweep with yeah. the float over. Okay. But this is the part I didn't like. So he calls out Pillman. Um, and, and actually, no, I, this isn't, isn't the part that I don't like. It's, it's actually the Pillman, when Pillman wrestles, this was this was fine. He calls out Pillman. No Pillman. We'll we'll get to that in a second. Um, so Ross and and Rick Rude ha, are, are interviewing, and Rude basically wants Chono again. He's given all the excuses in the world for not winning that match. Um, you know, it, it was he's not going to blame the jet lag. He's not going to blame these bad hotels. He's not going to blame you know the food. He's gonna blame the referee, and so we we don't see it. They cut, because yeah. why did they show? Up? They showed it. They didn't show flash. the clip. Yeah, they did, they didn't show the clip. They like fast forwarded through the clip. But he's saying that he actually had Chono pinned, and the referee did not count the three. And uh, interestingly, they're gonna show one of the semifinal matches with mm-hmm. Rude against Kensuke Sasaki. I thought that was interesting because they skipped they that just, too. Well, they just told us that that he he, he lost won. in the finals, yeah. so we know that he won that match. So they kind of give that away. But I, I'm I'm trying. I'm just wondering what what is the reason? Are they? I'm guessing bring a, more New Japan guys in, so they want to show well, yeah, some of this wrestling. Well, actually, yes, because Kasuki Sasaki does come into WWE '93 for the um, springtime. Got it. And he works, and he does work rude. By the way, he works uh, rude for the U.S. title. Um, but also, too, it's also a nice little, not only just get exposure for Kazuki Sasaki on television, but also gives like a little hook for people to check out, you know, something, you know, the hardcores mainly, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember I was excited because, and they show a clip there of that match and they skip that over as well. And I don't know what the hell, they, why they don't have the rights to show it there, but they had the right to show it on the class show. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I remember that match of Kazuki Sasaki and Rick Rude and it was really good. Um, I remember... B- having that on tape and I remember we watching that like for like months because I just thought it was cool, cool, you know, and rude wrestled differently in uh, new Japan. Like he didn't do the rude awakening. He did the rude awakening as a move, but like it was his finisher, you know, his finisher was a top rope knee drop mm. in, in Japan. So yeah, I thought that was interesting. Okay. So we get uh, super invader versus Shane Douglas, the returning Shane Douglas. 
I don't know about Hercules's mask there. I don't know. It wasn't an actual mask, uh, or the Super Invader mask wasn't it's like pantyhose or something. Yeah, yeah. So you could literally like see his face. It was like uh, what was that little toy we had when we were kids? That little uh, magnet thing. And then, like, if you put your face against it, like, you could see the imprint of, of your face. Like, that's what his mask looked like. No, it looks like to me he's wearing a Tron hat with pantyhose. Like, <laughs> like they're trying to, like, distort his figure, his face, so you won't realize it's it's uh, Hercules. But just give a real wrestling mask, yeah, right? Like, yeah, why exactly. is he... This, uh, why can't he just be Hercules? <laughs> or Hernandez? Just call him Hernandez, you know? And... And I guess, you know, I guess that's why he had no problem doing this job because no one knows who he, he can tell who he really is. I mean, I knew because his body language and, and his body. Yep. And, um, but I like this match. I like the setup of this match. I like you have, you know, you have Shane Douglas positioned as this, uh, you know, just a job guy possibly or a good young athlete. But, you know, Super Vader is supposed to be there to destroy him. But then he doesn't. And the crowd really bought into this, man. They really exploded. Belly, the belly to belly to for Shane Douglas. They're really that. giving him the, uh, the Magnum TA push, you know, um, and I think they even do like a. I think soon we'll see a segment with them two talking. Magnum TA and Shane Douglas kind of get that. Um, I like Shane. I always like Shane Douglas. I liked him here. I liked him at this weight, you know, where he was agile and more athletic. Mm-hmm. You know, him when he got really into the steroids and ECW, you know, he looked great, but that just really limited his not only his mobility in the ring. But they also he also was wrestling a different style too. ECW he really fell behind on the actual, you know, stand, you know, work of the matches. Mostly like just hit people with chairs and brawling. Um, but also like caused him, in my opinion, to have all those injuries that he suffered because he was getting his body wasn't built to carry that muscle and he was tearing stuff, especially in his arms and biceps and triceps. And he was you know pain addiction all that stuff. So I mean, God, if he would just stay this Shane Douglas, and he was early on ECW this weight and. He moved really well. Like, you know, I, I was always a fan of Shane Douglas. And, like, he, he should have been a bigger star with this run, I think, in WCW because he's so well-spoken and, and everything. And, you know, just never – he just, you know, got fed up and left, you know, in 93 sometime. But, yeah, I've always been a Shane Douglas. Have you been a Shane Douglas guy or you're on the fence team? Um, I really liked him when he was on the Dudes with Attitudes because it was like uh, – now the Dynamic Dudes? Yeah, that's what, sorry. <laughs> that's Sting's group. I was a car. I'm a card carrying member. Remember we talked about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, because it, I, you know, I'm not. I'm not. I wasn't a, a skateboard guy, but it looked like I, I always loved the young team, the young underdog baby faces. You know, like the young stallions. I always loved the idea that oh, you know, may, maybe I'm I'm watching like the beginning of like two guys becoming stars. And so I like that aspect of them, but I was never a really a Shane Douglas guy after the dynamic dudes. Yeah, really? Wow. I know I know he had the he had the the run where he was uh what was he with Steamboat when he yeah, when this Steamboat run coming was, up pretty soon. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's cause cause so so Steamboat leaves and then it comes back? Uh no, this happens. Like they well, we'll talk we don't want to spoil anything, you know, for people that haven't followed this, but yeah, no, Steamboat's there. You know? Okay. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I like the early ECW stuff. Cause I was so like, wow, you know, I can't believe he's talking crap, trap, crash about crap about Ric Flair. You know, he's building a match that's never gonna happen back. But back then I didn't get that right part of it. I was just like, Oh my God, why would he talk shit about Ric Flair? Which kind of pissed me off, but it was kind of <laughs> cool at the same time. Right. But you know, but like, like I said, once he started bulking up and like, was it 98 and May 97, 98 is just getting, uh, 
he just it just affected his work. All right, so then uh, we get a barbarian interview, and I think it's pretty awesome that Foley's like the mouthpiece. Oh, perfect. and I wonder, I wonder when they figured out that Mick Foley was a great promo because he's he didn't. I mean, he got to cut some promos when he was uh, by himself, but I feel like these promos. He's getting even more time to cut these promos for Barbarian and for Butch Reed. And are are we sure yet that Barbarian is the is the one that's going to get the match or is Rick Rude supposed to get the match? I'm trying to figure out cuz they're promoting they're for Ron Simmons they're promoting Barbarian, they're promoting Butch Reed and they're promoting Rick Rude and we know Vader's kind of hanging out. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm like I I don't know like literally who's going to get the match with I uh, mean, with Simmons. From this promo I felt like that's what that's the whole promo was about was basically setting up like you know I you know like it was cactus I thought this was a great promo. Cactus said you know that he had his chance and he didn't he didn't come through but you know there's something worse behind me you know that's coming next a bigger storm and that's the barbarian. So um, I was at the time as a kid I don't think I thought I thought for sure it was going to be probably Vader rematch but it, you know end up being barbarian which i'm sure they'll probably announce next week because they said something about how their first the, the others to love them the halloween hell control center or the halloween havoc <laughs> i would say holy hell because apw had halloween hell but halloween havoc excuse me control center all right so uh so then we have um so scotty flamingo scotty flamingo comes <laughs> out. oh no, no no actually i didn't mention the the barbarian match he beats ricky nelson big boot yeah um, ricky and, nelson man ricky nelson is a decent worker very shitty ass promoter but <laughs> what 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 what's also great about foley is he's on commentary here so he does the interview for barbarian pushing him to the moon and then he gets on commentary and he's just pushing the hell out of him yeah, talking yeah. about the boot talking about you know how the, how it's a secret weapon or it's a, it's an illegal weapon or whatever so really really cool moments for foley as a as a promo and as a as a voice i thought on this show well he always did the promos for him and abdullah right in 91 and i think people recognize him there especially ross and I think I think um, I think Watts probably got really into uh, Cactus Jack, and it's, I, and it's unfortunate because he's kind of hurt here, right? He mm-hmm. the groin injury we talked about last week uh, during the Clash match, and kind of affected that match. So, but you know, but hey, perfect guy to set up uh, Barbarian Ron Simmons, and at least put over Barbarian enough to where you want to see it. That it, but that was an uphill battle from you know how Barbarian was using WF. All right, Flying Brian against Marcus Alexander Bagwell. We see the further heel-leaning uh, Flying Brian. Scotty Flamengo is on commentary, and he's complaining about uh, some match where he thinks that he kicked out at two. So him and Rude both have the same heel excuses. Yeah, well, uh, mostly that's, that's, that's the, the, the old trope, right? The heel using that. So I thought this was a fun match. Um so uh, Bagwell gets dumped outside, and Brian does the thing where he doesn't actually throw Bagwell over the top, though. Uh, he actually does throw Bagwell over the top, but he makes it look like they both go over, mm-hmm. and Bagwell takes a dump on the floor. And as he's coming back in, you know, you would think, oh, you know, Brian, you, you know, you used to be a good guy. Let the guy back in. Nope. Boots him right in the face. Awesome, awesome. <laughs> this was great. <clears throat> and he gets the uh, he gets the pin. And so this is when Brad Armstrong came out. Brad Armstrong 
is like, look, you know, maybe the last last week at the clash, maybe, you know, maybe you just said, didn't have a good moment. I'm going to give you another chance. Shake my hand. Pillman slaps him right in the face. And I was like, okay, it's on. And nope, Armstrong put his hand out again. Like, what are you doing, dude? This guy just slapped you right in the teeth. And you're going to do that again so he can slap you right in the teeth again? I thought that was kind of yeah. goofy. Yeah, he was, you know, he was there, you know, he was doing a thing where, you know, he was, didn't, he didn't believe this is Brian Pillman, right? Is yeah. Brian Pillman. So he's like, uh, you know, trying to do his best to appeal to the good Brian Pillman side that's seemed to be taken over by the dark side <laughs> of the, the force. And, um, you know, but I thought, you know, it would have been great if I, God, I don't remember this, the finish. And I thought the finish was awesome. When he kicks Marcus Ballard right in the head, it looked mm-hmm. so good. And, like too good and it looked right. And what if like at that point it's chaos and here comes the medics and here comes Bill Watts and everyone's checking on poor Marcus Bagwell and people were upset. Then Brad Armstrong comes out and he's checking on Marcus, but he's like, what are you doing, man? How can you do that? What's going on with you? What's going on? Brian, what is, this is not you and this and that. And Brian's kind of like blowing him off and Brian like, you know, starts leaving the ring and, and Brad grabs him and then Brian turns around and he's, I'm talking to you, man. He just fucking kicks him in the nuts and then he starts beating the shit out of Brian. Now the referees, some referees have to leave and go, you know, that would have been fucking awesome. You know, I, I think it would be chaotic and, you know, I just thought, I, yeah, I didn't like the, the, the second handshake. You know, I understand he's the, the idea is like, oh, please, one last time, man. I know this is not you, but yeah, it kind of makes him look like a geek. <laughs> and then you don't make Brad Armstrong look like a geek, man. I love Brad Armstrong. All right, so then uh, Dustin Rose does an interview, which is literally just meant to put Eric Watts on TV and to put him over, and they're two young dudes, and they've already wasted enough of JR's time, and they're going to go hang out and just be bros. Yeah, yeah. They're going to get some tail somewhere. <laughs> uh, Steamboat in an interesting matchup against Vinny Vegas. I, If you would have asked me... Has Steamboat and uh, Kevin Nash ever had a singles match? I would have said no because I don't remember this. You know what's funny is I remember, yeah, it was Justin Nipper. We were talking about he's he was like diving into '93 WCW. Yeah, and he was like, yeah, I saw this match with Vinny Vegas and Steamboat, and it was like really good. And and I watched it. It was it was it was good. This was like early '93. Um, but yeah, Steve was a master here, right? And worked really well with Nash or yeah, with any Vegas, sorry. And um they had good chemistry, you know. You saw the potential there with uh with with Kevin Nash or Diesel or it was gosh, Vinny Vegas that Vinny you know, Vegas. he could he could be something with the right opponent and uh, So what what I love the most about this match was the the roll up. Like He's rolling Vinny Vegas up, but he's not rolling him up like he would roll up someone his size. He rolls him up, but he's like holding like the shoulders and the neck in place. Like it looked mm-hmm. like a shoot cover. I was like, yeah, how, is, yeah, yeah. how could he ever kick out of this anyways? Yeah, yeah, no, it was it was good, and and the match was well paced, well timed. Um, he really played into you know like like a true master of the ring. He played into his opponent's strengths, and and Nash did you know did well with all of them. And then we get the Ron Simmons interview, setting up his match with Rick Rude, basically putting Rude over as uh, as the next guy, and he's got to you know train even harder for this guy. 
And then we had Anderson and Eaton versus Kevin Neal and Robert Wallace. Very quick match. They're kind of running out of time here. Mm-hmm. Arn wins like with some like shoulder lock. Yeah, the old Anderson submission. Yeah. And then uh, basically they're 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 about to be interviewed, and then Rick interviews uh, interrupts them again and speaking nonsense. Like I literally didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> Still, Jumping up and down, doing like jumping jacks in front of them. Completely over the over the top. I, and so, but Scott's not there. And so JR is not even sure what's going on. JR's like, uh, or I think it was JR, but because um, cause Rick is like, I can beat you. And he's pointing at Anderson. And he's like, I can beat you. He's pointing at Eaton. And he's like, I surely can yeah, beat yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, and he yeah, points yeah, yeah. at Hayes. And so Ross thinks that Hayes is going to go in the ring and they're going to they're gonna have a match, an impromptu match. But no, Scott was there. So Steiners were waiting in the ring, like, you know, for, for this match against uh, Eaton and Anderson. And then... You know, this was this was an old uh, this was an old WCW NWA crutch from back in the day. We're out of time. Yeah, you dicks. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. That makes you want more. Right. I mean, no, it was. Yeah. I I love the brawl at the end. The crowd was eating it up. So, you know, uh, I I just keep, you know, it sucks, too. And then back of my mind, like, God, the Steiners are leaving soon. Yep. And it broke my heart when I did. <laughs> I mean, we covered the whole thing on uh, when we were talking about '93 Raw. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just, it's like those, those, those old feelings came back to me as a kid, like being completely bummed when I saw. And the Steiner brothers are here on Superstars. I'm like, <laughs> no, <laughs> took our took our best tag team. Yep, yep. Well, that is it, and we'll be back uh, next week with the September nineteenth episode of WCW Saturday Night. We're still in like the you know the one and a half hour, one hour versions. Where uh, I guess the Braves are still playing some baseball. Uh, in nineteen ninety two, they're pretty good. So they're they're this, these are some mean, there's some <laughs> meaningful games, you know, yeah. heading into head out for TBS. So yes, but uh, th- this. The, these shows were like kind of throwaways in a sense, though. You did get the Andersons and Steiners match, Anderson Eaton Steiners match. So that was good. But, you know, they don't have a lot of time to do stuff. So they're just yeah. rushing through stuff. And poor Ron Simmons gets to do like a half of a promo and then that's it. And, you know, they the usual. Get to the, yeah. the same promo. Same promo. I need all his thanks for training hard. Training hard. Loves because of the people. And not underestimating they, his opponent. No, no, I'm just I'm here to fight in the champion. And, uh, once again, people, thank you. <laughs> thank <laughs> you. Kind of funny. All right, so I want to thank Chris Samsa for hanging out with us in the beginning of the show. Again, he's been such a tremendous help with uh, with our G1 challenge. Also, of course, John Larocca. Uh, will be John and I will be back on Thursday in our normal show. But like I mentioned. Come Tuesday, we'll we'll have uh, another show in the week. Um, crossing my fingers, I'm like 95% sure that I'll get Big Dave Meltzer to give me his predictions for the G1 uh, for this upcoming weekend. But for Chris and John, I'm Double G. We will see you and we see you. Peace out.